Has there ever been something that you were so fixated on that you just had to have? Think, think back through your life at different times. Um, does everyone remember when the iPhone came out? 2007. We, we have not had those things around that long, but 2007 they came out. And I remember seeing the first advertisement for it, and I thought, that is the dumbest thing ever. That will never catch on. And so I went to the AT&T store, and I bought, I, it was called a tilt. I don't, it like moved apart and tilted up, and there was like a full keyboard underneath, and I was like, this is the way to go. It's the tilt. But one of my buddies was an early iPhone adopter. He got the one. And so we're, we're sitting there looking at phones and, and playing around and stuff, and I'm just like, all right, I, I kind of want an iPhone. <laughs> and, and so I was really disappointed that I didn't get one. And, and so then as my time for renewal or whatever started getting closer, and I started looking at them like, oh, man, I want, I want the new iPhone. I, I, I want an iPhone more than anything else. And, and I became so fixated on it. Like, that was all I was thinking about. I wanted it so bad. And, and what's crazy about that is if someone were walking around with an iPhone 1 now or an iPhone 2, like, I mean, we make fun of people who still have 7s and 8s. I'm sorry. <laughs> but if, if you had a 1, and so where, where is my first iPhone? It's in the trash. But it was funny because it's one of those things that I wanted so, so bad that I had to have. And that, there's probably lots and lots of examples of those things in your life that you wanted and you were just so fixated on and you wanted so bad. So through this series, we're talking about these mirages. And a mirage is a visual illusion that has no substance or reality. And you can say, well, an iPhone has substance and it has reality. That is true. But what you think it will do for you has absolutely zero substance or reality to it. And as fixated as we become on things, because we think they're going to make our life better, they're going to make our life more comfortable. And so through this, we've been using this, this idea of, of a mirage, of crawling through the desert this person who's dying of thirst, crawling on their hands and knees, and they see the water off in the distance, and they think, I've got to have a drink. And they crawl and crawl, but it was just this visual illusion. There was nothing that was really there that would satisfy them. And so week one, we talked about the gospel, that, that Jesus is... Paul says in Corinthians that Jesus came to this earth as one of us, lived as we live, died this horrible death, and that he rose from the grave. And the beauty of the gospel is not that it just takes away our sin, but it creates the possibility of a world without sin. That God is recreating this world through his people, the church. And, and so we have this opportunity, just like Lois did this, this last week, Will, just like Will's going to do later this morning, we enter into him by saying, I want to follow Jesus, I want to make him my Lord, and we're baptized into his name and into his kingdom and into his new world. And we become a part of something bigger than ourselves. Because in the reality of it, we're trying to answer a really simple question, how can I save myself? 
Because our belief is there is a possible, there, there is a possibility that we can do that. Right? Through, through wealth, through power, through fame, through comfort, through pleasure, through following the rules or getting things right, that we can save ourselves. But at the end of the day, it's this rea- the, re- the reality that it's just a mirage that we're chasing. It's just something we're chasing after with no substance and no reality. But here's what makes it really difficult. Knowing it's a mirage does not strip the temptation of its power. Knowing it's a mirage does not strip the temptation of its power. We still want it. And we have this paradigm in our mind. If if we have this, if we gain this, if we get this, whether it's wealth or money or or power, um, a new job, a new car, new clothes, if we get it, then we're going to feel complete. Then we'll feel like we belong. Then everything will be okay. And, and some interesting things happen for us psychologically, right? There's two things really at play here. The first is called impact bias. And it's a cognitive bias in which our mind takes a simple desire and magnifies it out of proportion. It is this cognitive bias, and it takes this desire, and it magnifies it. And so you see that, that new iPhone in the store, and your mind tells you, like, it's eight. Like, I've got to have it. Like, nine, maybe. I might die if I don't. And it magnifies it. And the reality is it's probably like a one or a two, that desire. But your mind messes with you. It's the, the idea that someone who's afraid to fly... And they logically know that way more people die in automobile accidents than on planes. And they refuse to fly, but they'll get in their car and drive everywhere. Right? That's that cognitive bias. It's that, that bias that magnifies these desires out of proportion. And, and the second is a, kind of a result of that, and it's called focalism. And it focuses our mind on one thing and blurs everything else out. And the problem is so many of the things that it focuses our mind on are these mirages, these visual illusions without substance or reality. And it makes us want them and desire them and thirst for them and hunger for them. I I wonder if it makes sense thinking about King David. He's up on the rooftop, and he looks out in the distance, and there's Bathsheba on the roof. And his mind says, oh, man, that, if I had her, if I had a relationship with her, then everything in my life would be better. I've got to have her. And so he sends some servants to get her and bring her to him. 
And it causes all kinds of problems down the road. Because he had to have it. It was this desire, this hunger, this thirst. There's a story that that Jesus tells in the New Testament in Luke in chapter 12. And and just kind of setting it up, um, this, this man has come to Jesus Right? He's come to Jesus and, and he's asking. And, and Jesus is telling the story. He says, um, Sorry, let me back up. My mind, sorry. <laughs> We've been moving my parents this weekend and my mind is on fumes. Um, this man, sorry, this man has this abundance of a crop. He's blessed with this abundance of crop. And he has this idea, right? Um, here's what I'm going to do. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night... Your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with those who store up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. So he has this really abundant crop. And and think about this. He put in the work, yes. But this is a blessing. There, there is rain that he has no control over. There is sun that he has no control over. There's the soil, for the most part, he has no control over. Literally everything that we're talking about is outside of his ability to control what is produced. And he has this blessing. And his thought is, what am I going to do with this? I have too much. And so he says, I'm going to go and I'm going to build bigger barns. And I'm going to take life easy. And I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. Life is going to be good. And I think the the problem for so many of us is the way that we've dealt with sin or we've talked about sin in our life has been we want a list of things that you can and cannot do so that we know whether or not we've sinned. But it is such a bigger concept than just don't do and do. What sin is at its core is it's taking the blessing of God and distorting it and using it for something it was never intended to be used for. At at the core, that's what sin is. It's taking something that God has given us as a blessing, distorting it and using it for something it was never intended for. Sex is a beautiful gift from God. And it was intended for a man and a woman within a marriage. Not yet, Marshall. Not yet there. Um, Using it for something it was never intended to be used for. 
God said, here's this gift of marriage and sex for a, a married couple. And when we take it and we distort it and use it in a way that it was not intended for, that's what sin is. God has blessed this man with an abundant crop. And he says, okay, I'm going to keep all of it for myself and I'm going to store it away and I'm going to kick back and relax. Now, there, there are so many questions there, I'm sure. Right? Wait, is it, is it wrong to save up and, and be wise and save? Absolutely not. In fact, we just finished in our Bible classes going through the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs would say someone who does not do that is a fool. But it also would call the person who does the opposite a fool. Who takes everything they have and hoards it and keeps it for themselves and doesn't think about the needs of anyone else. That person would be a fool too. So it's not, not wrong to save and it's not wrong to enjoy nice things but it's wrong to be on both extremes and distort the blessing of God of that gift. Another idea in this is, well, is it wrong to rest? Right? Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be... Is it wrong to rest and stop? No. No, it's not, not wrong at all. In fact, God in His creation finishes... And he says, this is going to be a Sabbath, a day of rest. But it would also be wrong, not just to not rest, but it would also be wrong to make every single day a Sabbath. And just spend your life resting. Right? There, there's, there's a balance there to life. He takes this abundance of blessing. And instead of realizing it's a gift from God and using what he's been blessed with to take care of other people and help and make this world a better place, he stores it up for himself. And he says, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Right? Eat, drink, and be merry. And you can ask, so where is the mirage in that statement? It's right there. Be merry. Right, that's, that's the mirage. If, if I take life easy and I eat and drink, then everything's going to be okay. I'm going to have all I need. I'm going to be comfortable. I'm going to have endless pleasure. Everything will be good. I'm going to take life easy, eat, drink, and I'm going to be merry. My guess is you have kind of an equation like that in your mind. Where, where if I do this, next, Marshall. If I do this, and I do this, and I do this, then I'll be merry. If I have plenty to eat, and my wife and I get along, and my kids are obedient, then I'll be married. That's probably true. 
But here's, here's the problem. Here's why it's a mirage. Because if you're seeking your fulfillment in what they are able to provide for you, and you're finding your identity in what someone else is able to provide for you, it will always leave you thirsting for more. There, there is only one who can fulfill. There is only one who can be your identity. And that is Christ. There is no one. And, and it's that paradigm again, right? If then. If I had all this stuff, if I had the new iPhone, if I had the nicer clothes, if I had the bigger house, if I had the nicer car, if I had a better marriage, if I had better kids, if I had, if I had, if I had, then. And all of us have that paradigm running through our mind on repeat. Is it possible that taking life easy, eating and drinking, would bring fulfillment to your life? Is it possible that the new car, the new phone, the new clothes, the new house, is it possible that those would bring fulfillment? Here's my guess. is for a moment, for a moment when you had it, it would be amazing. But isn't it also equally amazing how easily it wears off? I mean, think, think back to those things that you were fixated on that you had to have, whether it's an iPhone or a new, new shirt or a new suit or, or new car. Maybe the new car is still around. But we know, we know enough from experience that it doesn't last. We know from experience that it's all a mirage that never really fulfills us. But like we said last week, knowing it's a mirage does not strip the temptation of its power. Knowing it's a mirage does not strip the temptation of its power. And so you have to understand, as we talk about sin, as we talk about sin, it's not don't do this because I said so. Right? We want the, the list of things, do this, don't do this, because I said so. That, that's in our mind how it works. Right? That's what we tell our kids. Why don't I have to do this? Because I said so. But, but it's bigger than that. Right? Instead, if you distort my goodness and blessing, it will create a world that you will not want to be a part of. Think, think about this. If you take God's goodness and blessing, 
and you distort it and use it for what it was not intended to be used for, it will create a world that you will not want to be a part of. If you take all of God's blessing and just say, I'm going to build bigger barns and I'm going to hold it for myself and I'm not going to worry about anyone else, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. If we take sex and we take it and use it in a way that God did not intend it to be used for, there are going to be people who are exploited sexually. There are going to be people who are hurt and broken because of sexual sin. There's going to be rampant problems with things like pornography. There's going to be some big issues that come when we distort what God has intended for us as a blessing. And it's going to create a world that we don't want to live in and we don't want to be a part of. I think it's something that would create a world where God says, I'm so frustrated that I've created this because it's become a mess. Because my tendency is to think, well, I don't want to be a part of that world. But the problem is I'm a contributor to that problem. Right? The, um, in, in Timothy, right, it says this, and, and listen. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. When it says last days, it's not meaning like, hey, next week it's coming, the last day. We've been in the last days for a really, 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 really long time. It's been deteriorating for a long, long time. This is not a new problem. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And he says, have nothing to do with such people. Have nothing to do with such people. Stay away from them. But here's the problem. Because I, I, I think to myself, yep, we see those people. They are the problem. And, and you could probably lift, list them off. You probably have categories for them. They are the problem. We see them. They are the problem. As I was reading this this last week, something occurred to me. I am those people. And I am the problem. Because when you go back through that list, people who are selfish, who aren't generous, who are greedy. Now, now look, you can read through it and you can pick out all the ones that, oh, I'm really good at that one. I'm really good at that one. I, I do that. But my guess is, as I was reading through that, there are several of those adjectives and those words that jump out at you that say, oh man, 
That's me. In fact, go, go back to that real quick. Let's, let's go back to the beginning. Let's read that again. Second Timothy, sorry. Uh, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Right? People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful. That was before proud. That was before social media. Abusive. Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful. Unholy. Without love unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, that's not me, I'm not brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. My assumption, because I, I think this is a human thing, I think it's true about me, so I'm making the assumption it's probably somewhat true about you as well, that Timothy describes us pretty well in America in 2023. See, it's not those people out there, they're the problem. It's I'm the problem. I, I am the issue. And when I live my life like that, I am creating a world that I don't want to be a part of. But God called His people out of that darkness with the purpose of them being a blessing to this world. To create a world that everyone would want to be a part of. A world that's starting to look a lot more like heaven because the people of God who are part of His kingdom, who are being transformed, are living out the gospel. They're not just speaking it and saying it matters. They're living it out. The self-sacrificial life. Because they believe it has the power, and we believe it has the power to change the world. I wonder how much of our life is spent chasing these mirages. These things at the end of the day that are just illusions without substance or reality. And how is it that we stop chasing the mirage? How do we stop? And I think Jesus tells us, right? He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things are going to be given to you as well. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Because if we do that, 
we're creating a world that we want to be a part of. Not just a world we want to be a part of right now, but a world that starts to resemble eternity with God, our Father, and our Lord. And I think through all the stories of of the people in the Bible, of Adam and Eve, of Cain, King David, Solomon, Samson, even Peter, Judas, who were a part of creating a world that we wouldn't want to be a part of. And it's fascinating to me that Timothy says, have nothing to do with those people. Because we hear, have nothing to do with them. And what does God do? He becomes one of them. And he enters into that mess, into that world of the people you should want nothing to do with. And he puts their arm around them. And he says, follow me. He invites those people that we should have nothing to do with and says, come follow me. Come be transformed and be more and more like me. Stop chasing the mirage. Because at the end of the day, here's the thing, at the end of the day, every one of us know it's a mirage. But knowing it's a mirage does not strip the temptation of its power. Father, we thank you so much for your gift of love and grace that you abundantly gave to us. Father, we thank you. As as it says in Timothy, have nothing to do with those people that you entered into our world, that you came like one of us, And had everything to do with us. And Father, now as we begin to transition and move our minds towards that, Father, we are so thankful that you did come. That you did come into our world to be a part of this mess. And Father, it cost you the ultimate price in your Son. And Father, we are grateful. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to take communion. And as we celebrate that, I want you to think about that line. Have nothing to do with those people. Knowing what Christ did for you.